This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi, everyone. This is Madhuri, and you are listening to New Books in South Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, we have Snigdha Poon joining us from New Delhi in India to talk to us about her new book, her first book, Dreamers, How Young Indians Are Changing the World. So Dreamers came out earlier this year in... January in India, and then has just been republished in the U.S. by Harvard University Press. Thank you so much for joining us, Nikta. This is uh, such a great uh, honor for us. Thank you, Madhuri, for having me. So, you know, before we jump right into the book and your process throughout writing it, interviewing your interlocutors, let me just... uh, begin with how you got into journalism? Well, you know, like all good Indian middle-class parents, mine try to push me towards more profitable occupations. Um, so I studied science in, in school and college, but I just wasn't into it. And I think that I I spent all of those, those years in classrooms just reading and trying to write stories. And so the moment that I was like out I just I just knew that I had to um I just like quickly do something so I started sending um articles to newspapers and some of them did okay so that's how I began okay and by profitable professions you mean you know the usual lawyer engineer engineering I think that for me their dream was um that I become a doctor and I'm so happy that I didn't go down that path. Right. So when you speak to some of your interlocutors, you're familiar with that net of aspirations that they're trying to cast, I guess, because we've all been subjected to um, that same disciplinary <laughs> reach, right? Um, you know, there's been so much uh, talk both within academia and media at large about India's demographic dividend, how in the last census, almost 50% of India's population is below the age of 24. By 2020, India will become the world's youngest country. I mean, you know, we are so familiar with these statistics by now. And of course, all of these... uh, 
are concerns for economists, but also present tremendous potential for politicians. And, you know, we saw how Prime Minister Modi has harnessed this uh, potential to great success. But what I so appreciated about your book was, you know, how you draw these seven very specific individuals and paint a picture for the reader as to how they are actually enmeshed in these uh, currents. Yeah, the joblessness, the embattled aspirations, the, you know, the masculinity in crisis. And so I thought I'd, you know, ask you first to talk a little bit about your interest in small town India, right? Your a very specific deep dive into the tier two city. So for our listeners in the US and you know those who might not be familiar with the term, will you begin by telling us a little bit about the B town, the tier two city and what specifically drew you to this milieu? to understand young Indians? Sure. I had been working in in Delhi as a journalist looking at all of India. And as you said yourself, I mean, there are just so many of young Indians, hundreds of millions. So anything uh, anything big that happens in this country centers around them, whether it's elections or or riots and, or, or, you know, marriage or love and dating and so on. So, Nearly everything that I was covering as a journalist took me to to young Indians in various parts of the country. And um, the kinds of things that I heard amazed me more and more. I mean, just to give you an example, I think one of the big stories that I um, did as a journalist in Delhi long before starting on the book was one on the entry of... um, online dating in India. And it began with just just one website that was trying out the market. So I signed up to, you know, I was working towards a long form feature. So I signed up as myself, although explaining on the website that I was a journalist and this this is the kind of, and the kind of stuff that I wanted to ask um, the people on the website. And um, within hours, I think that by the time that I woke up, um, the next day, I had hundreds of messages from a young men from across the country, from places that I had never heard of, um, you know, from Saharanpur in north to Salem in south. And I was surprised that very few of them actually were trying to engage me in conversations about love or sex or, you know, the sort of stuff that you would expect. But most of them just wanted to talk um, to someone who was interested and talk not just about love or sex, but just everything, you know, their families, their college, job prospects, just how um, dislocated they, they felt and just just the things that they wanted to get out of their lives. And it just intrigued me. And I thought that um, there was just so much going on in the lives of young Indians in uh, small towns and villages that we didn't, we didn't, have, uh, we didn't have any idea of in, in the cities. So that's that kind of uh, pushed me towards um, thinking of this book. But there was so much going on in in Delhi itself. I mean, I remember during the same time going to 
a personality development class because they were springing up everywhere and they were full of the same kind of young men and young women who came from um who came from places all around Delhi, much smaller places all around Delhi to really just figure out how to, uh, you know, how to change their lives, how to be in a big city, how to market themselves, how to get a job, how to, um, how to sound um, smart and, and just like be cool. And um, I remember also going to this workshop that was called, because I used to scan the newspapers for, uh, advertisements for events that were like drawing uh, that were like calling out to young people and one of them was just called how to become rich and I thought wow that's sounds pretty straightforward um, so I went and uh, similar kind of situation young men mostly always young men and they were very driven and very desperate to make something of their lives and most of all to break out of whatever you know boundaries that they were kind of um fitted in and and I kept thinking that whether it was like love or aspiration or just uh or society they they wanted some really big changes so therefore the book (laughs) and what was their relationship with the big city because I remember at one point in the book I think this was your spoken English tutor and uh, you ask him if, you know, he wants to expand the business, take it, you know, to a metropolitan city. And he says that, you know, he'd actually prefer to remain where he was. I think this was Ranchi. And so I'm curious, you know, we consume so much Bollywood and literature with this trope of the villager with you know, starry eyes moving to the big city to fulfill his dreams and ambitions. But I think there's also a little bit of something else going on here where it's not such a straightforward relationship of emulation. Uh, Is that something you noted too? Yes, I did actually. And it kind of really surprised me because, I mean, up in a in small towns, I mean, all I wanted to do, all any one of us wanted to do, was to was to leave immediately um, as soon as we could. <laughs> yes, so you know whether you wanted to be a journalist or or um, or I don't know, um, even a launch a company or something, you you couldn't imagine doing that without leaving. Uh, but that was that had changed massively, and other than one person in this book, and that who wants to become big in Bollywood um, no one really leaves their um, no one really leaves the small town their small towns and I think that that surprised me and I think to some extent they didn't feel they didn't feel the need um, and that that was the, the biggest reason there's this guy who is able to launch and you know a, a website for for viral content in English. Mm-hmm based in a town in Madhya Pradesh. And so then he figures that he doesn't have to go to Delhi to, to make it big in the media. And can, you can imagine how like shocking that was for me because I kept asking him, so what's next, like Delhi? Um, because it, it is the headquarters um, of Indian media. But he said, why Delhi? I mean, I'm thinking of next to Singapore and then maybe LA. Um, so I think it's not, it's, his trajectory is, is, is very different. Um, so whether, you know, you take motivation speaking or, um, spoken English or 
you know, politics. I mean, none of these people saw the need. And some of, I mean, some of that was like attributed to their having found these tools, this like one-time um, tools of sort of like modernity that um, that they could use to change, uh, to like sort of, you know, make their own market. And, and they always spoke of markets, like each of them, all of almost all of them spoke of markets. Um, and making a market for themselves. And so whether you take English or you take internet or even... Confidence. Um, yes, or even like event management. These were things that they they used to make, um, build markets for themselves. And, um, and they had rightly figured that, you know, there were, I mean, creating a market uh, in a place where there is none is, is, is better than like, you know, entering a market that's already becoming saturated. So your interlocutors are largely men with a single very inspiring but also disappointing exception of uh, Richa Singh. So was that something you originally intended or is that just how things panned out in terms of connections and long-term relationships? Well, two things happened. One was one happened earlier on, which was that I found it more difficult to um, to get that time, to get the kind of time and engagement that I wanted um, from these from for for these um, for this project. So you know, and I and I realized that that was always going to be the case because it was easier with with men to um, you know just arrive in their lives at any point that I wanted to and to like just stick around while they went about their business. So whether it was with their families or at their work or while they traveled or they hung out, I could be there. But for the women, um, although some of them were interested in, uh, and I was really interested in them, um, some of these stories fell through because, um, you know, they had to constantly ask their families for permission to spend time with me or to allow that kind of access into their lives. And in some cases, they just got, like one of them just got married off and they left and she left in the middle of our um, our association. So, I mean, uh, some of this was just like logistical uh, difficulties. Uh, but then, the you know, the more I got into the project, the more I realized that the kinds of things that the men were telling me were very specific. And um, it would be hard to like fit both men and women into this larger narrative of um, wanting change because the things that the men wanted were very different from the things that the women wanted and very, very uh, telling reason. And but while the men kept telling me, as you will see in the book, that they wanted the biggest things, you know, they keep telling me that they want to be the richest person in the world or the most famous motivational speaker or the biggest like politician, that sort of stuff. The women were mostly struggling to, you know, um, fight for the ba- most basic of freedoms, such as, you know, to, to, to study, to work, to leave their homes, to marry when they wanted to, or to, to, to someone that, or to, or to whom they wanted to, that, that sort of stuff. So I felt like when I spoke to women, they weren't, they weren't um, talking to me about going to Mars or, or becoming prime minister of this country or leading the world or um, changing India. And so I just wanted to focus on, on that. And even the, the story of Richa Singh who's trying to fight a student's election in a very patriarchal part of India. 
is was to show how she is up against that kind of um, masculine aggressive force so even that story for me became about more about as far as about the men that she is up against as about her yes that uh, incident where you accompany her to that student election rally where the crude bombs go off was pretty crazy yes please you tell our readers maybe just a smattering of incidents that were crazy on those lines as you were investigating these life trajectories sure i mean for many of these stories and because i was dealing with a young man i had to and as i said before i wanted to be everywhere at all times sometimes i had to um just be in situations that i wouldn't otherwise like imagine uh myself getting into one of them was while following the election um journey of this 27 year, year old woman called richa singh in uttar pradesh which is india's largest state and and you know among its most patriarchal as well and so we're talking about one of the biggest universities in uttar pradesh in which one of india's largest or most massive scale students union elections happen and for i think about 128 years of this university's existence no woman had ever stood for um the post of the president of the students union and and suddenly this 27 year old decides that she's she's going to she's going to fight this election and um the whole university explodes in outrage and so does the whole city so it was just one 27 year old woman against um thousands of men of all ages in this city who just wanted in whatever way they could to stop her and if they couldn't and then to defeat her so this um two months through which she first campaigned and then um went through the voting process and then um actually emerged out winner were it was a very violent time for her and for me because i was following her and not just uh verbally because it was very common for her to receive these phone calls threatening rape or threatening um bad things for her family but also for 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 her and for me to and for some of our female supporters to just be surrounded by men or to be um or to be like literally faced off across the street and um and sometimes you know there this involved SUVs and bouncers and bombs and um and, and you know I mean at at least one point uh, this woman just um flung herself on uh, on one of these on one of these men who were protesting her as at protesting her um speech as part of a mob and so she she breaks her arm i mean i'm i was not there fortunately that night but so I mean, this whole this whole process was extremely um risky and um i realized while doing that that um i just that there was no way that i could um ever fully understand why she 
she did that uh, why she would take such risks when it you know she could lose there was so much for her to lose her family safety her dignity and body and her life as well and i don't think that i still understand but uh, so one of the one of the stories that i just will never fully get into because i was i i remained in shock almost throughout but that just that also meant that i was one of the people from the book who i respect the most for the decisions that she took yeah and you know by the end of that chapter when you know you read that she has decided to contest elections for the samajwadi party which is one of the biggest uh, parties in up i mean on one hand of course i was disappointed because i think as an independent she was really eking out a space that was separate from all that muscle corruption power that she had begun uh critiquing during her first foray into the political realm but then as you just said the risks and sacrifices that she had already made and borne i think it's uh unfair for her to have to carry all of that um on behalf of you know all the women who are silenced and who can't up and do more i mean she had already done so much you know and so i think i felt i really had no right to be um even disappointed that she decided to join a mainstream political party that also adopted the very same tactics um electorally that she had uh initially yeah resisted so it's it's complicated and i hesitate to write that off as co-optation in the end but yeah i'm i'm so glad that you had that story in because it just magnified the toxic masculine aspect of uh you know the indian youth and how they engage politically and intellectually in this moment i mean you just have to go on twitter i guess to get uh, a virtual sense of that but this was very visceral yes i mean in a place where it's risky for women to walk between their homes and their classrooms you imagine this this woman um just walking the streets making speeches sometimes climbing the walls and taking over um stages to 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 campaign and to um to mainly speak to like hordes of men it was just um bewildering but you know i mean i like the fact about her at least towards the end of um the reporting process that she she wanted to play this game of politics and with an all its imperfections so she was idealistic but not naive and i think that the further she goes i the, the more i see that she um will go far and um but also that you know i mean if people like her don't join parties such as samajwadi party then like how will things change um so i'm i'm glad that she you know you there. began by talking about your immersion experience in the dating website and so i want to 
ask you to talk a little bit more about your journalistic practice, I guess, for a lack of a better term. I mean, how did you find these seven people? Well, with the exception of Richa Singh, I guess. Um, I, I guess Facebook was a big forum to reach out to some of these men. But I mean, how did you sustain the relationships? Did they, you know, continue to want to be in touch after you had wrapped up the story? Have they read your work? Have they read your book? I mean, what is that relationship like in each of their um, specifics? Okay, you'll have to remind me if I'm forgetting any part of this question. I didn't have to make much effort to find people because I was already in a lot of places talking to people. Um, and I had realized that um, that young people, no matter where they were, were telling me things that were very interesting and um, kind of same sort of things. <clears throat> the idea was to just be in one place and identify six or seven people and then follow their journeys for a year or two years. And I, so I began in Ranchi, where I grew up. Um, but towards the end of my first year of this project, I got kind of bored and um, I started going out a little bit and talking and, and traveling to other cities, smaller cities, and talking to similar people. Uh, finding them was not at all difficult because, as I said, I mean, these places are full of young people who just want to talk and who want very big, very dramatic things from their lives. Um, but I, Having said that, I did immerse myself in, in the online and offline worlds of young people. So I would hang out in colleges and coffee shops and and radio stations and fashion shows um, and a ton of just Facebook and WhatsApp and um, all kinds of like websites and comment chains and um, all kinds of corners of Indian internet where I would find, I would like, you know, really get a sense of what was going on. But I had I had a really hard time choosing people because there were so many people who were saying such interesting things. But I wanted to find people who um, who wanted things that for me seemed very unlikely given where they were in their lives. Um, whether it is you know there's there's a guy who wants to be a media mogul who. Um, who's from small ta- small village in, in Haryana where no one speaks English and no one has studied beyond class 10. There is a, um, uh, there is a guy from a small village in Haryana who's, whose parents sold milk for a living who wants to become um, a spoken English instructor and um, a world-famous motivational speaker. Uh, that, you know, that sort of stuff. So, um, and I wanted them to give me access. So I explained to each of them that it wasn't just one time interview that I will just stick around for at least a year, just um, keep following them as they as they did um, whatever. And most of them were very friendly to the idea. So that was easy. Um, I think that initially I began as a straightforward uh, journalists, which is what I had been doing. So I would meet them and I would ask them questions and take notes as much as possible. But 
the more I went along, the more I realized that that wasn't necessarily the best way to do this because uh, it was creating a lot of distance um, between us. So I think after some months of the whole interview and note-taking, I just began to relax more and more and um, kind of just... You know, it became more and more informal as we went along. And I realized that if I wanted that kind of entry into their lives, I also had to open myself to them um, a bit more. So I so I think that for, for a lot of these interactions, I would, you know, speak about my life for half the time and they would ask me questions because as curious as I was about them, these were young men who had never um, met um, I, in fact, like for most of them, I was the only woman outside of their families in their lives. So they were very curious about me. And so I just began to talk to them about all sorts of things, sometimes things that I wouldn't even tell my friends or didn't have time to. So it just, um, and um, I try to remember as much as I could, so I could like, you know, take notes um, when I went home. So that that kind of became more and more that kind of interaction. And, um, but I explained to them, over and over again what this was going towards and what the you know the final thing would look like and I told them how many how long it'll be and what kind it is just like it'll be I mean just how like multidimensional this was going to be and what it and also the importance of what their stories meant for um the larger future of the country and most of them understood it they were very open and very articulate and sometimes they told me things that really made me look at everything from a fresh perspective. Uh, some of them have read um, the book. Most of them haven't. I really hope that it will be translated into Hindi. Um, they are mostly happy, although they keep, they keep telling me that um, they would like it if some of these stories were turned into kind of video formats so that it would be easier for them to, to share. Um, some of have been opting for um, film and TV, so I hope that uh, at least one or two of them end up being made. And um, yeah, I think that would be the the best way for them um, to have this. Yeah, interview. I can uh, see how a video format would allow better circulation. You know, especially with all the WhatsApp groups and Facebook pages that they uh, all seem to engage with through so much of their um, yeah, daily waking hours. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Mm. So, you know, it's hard not to conclude uh, from your book that if... Say you're a young man from small town India, frustrated, 
for whatever reason in your search for a livelihood, chances are, right, disproportionately, that this young man is also a Hindu nationalist, a Modi supporter, right? And were there other ideological directions that you saw young Indian people moving in? Yes, I think there was um, a fair amount of curiosity about the political scene, most of the political direction in which the country was going. And I did see, um, I did see a lot of support for, or at least curiosity about the Ahmadmi Party, uh, a mostly Delhi-based political party that uh, entered the political scene, trying to position itself as an opposition to the Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party, so a sort of an alternative to the Congress. And because, I mean, as you've seen in the book, they keep blaming the Congress Party for whatever, whether fairly or not, about all the things that have held India back, that I saw that that they were, they, many of them were um, playing around with the idea of supporting the Ahmadmi Party. But um, but not nothing at the same scale as their like adoration in all forms, right? Because you know frustration and restlessness and anxiety about the future can go several directions. But you know, when combined, but not just that. But when you know, I was yes. going to say combined with a certain cultural nationalism, it seems to be channeled more towards. Um, a Hindutva angle, so... But channeled, I wouldn't put it that way. I think that's a very... Uh, what the BJP and what Mr. Modi especially has done is to um, <clears throat> to give them a narrative that they can <clears throat> hold on to and champion. So, so, so I'm not saying that everyone needs to be spoon-fed their identity politics, but... For a lot of young men, I'm talking about people who are as young as 19 or 20, who just feel frustrated with their lives, just find that, um, you know, it's a, that they find resonance in what, in, in, in the things that um, the BJP's leaders are telling them. And they don't find the same kind of resonance in what they hear from political, big political leaders. Otherwise, who, if they are making big speeches about poverty or secularism or, um, you know, equality. It doesn't make sense to them. But um, when we're going through some of the speeches that Mr. Modi made um, before the big election, this, the central elections, last central elections in 2014, it seemed like he was talking in their language, the kind of stuff that they're attracted to, the kind of stuff that they look up on YouTube all the time and... Um, and, you know, the kind of stuff that, like, gets them going, the stuff about dreams and stuff about how they're, like, all of their, like, uh, combined potentials being wasted for years and years and how, um, you know, just, like, one chance will change everything. And so that kind of, like, hyperbole, that kind of um, extreme promises and, um, you know, that kind of also, like, just solidarity. Um, at the same time, they also told me that they, they like how, He's um, and more more BJP more than any other party is active on internet and social media, and it just makes them feel more 
it just like makes them feel that they're more on the same, more on their page than any other political party. Right. And where was I going with this? I had a follow-up question. But, okay, so what are you working on now? Are you writing a similar book, but with women interlocutors? <laughs> I am writing, trying to research a book, and I wanted my next book to have a woman at its center because I'm kind of tired of listening to young men who started to just... Um, yeah, it's a bit. It's been. It's been a bit much for me. Um, so I am working on a book. It's about. I'm looking at love in India through crime. Um, so it's going to be a very intense experience as well. I've just started, so I wish I could say more. But at this, but I'm choosing one story as um, a continuing narrative through the book, and that features um, a woman who has um, killed a man. So, we you know, I just remember what I was going to ask you uh, following up on the Modi being on young people's page. So you also at one point in the book talk about how, you know, young Modi supporters are immune to any statistical counter evidence. They don't really want to hear, quote unquote, proof that things on the ground have actually been otherwise, that the Gujarat model hasn't been successful quite in the way that it's been portrayed. Did you also have similar arguments with uh, your interviewees? And how did that necessarily conclude? I did. There aren't so much um, uh, credible statistics as they are able, like most people in their generation, to find statistics um, that will support their argument, whether, you know, false or real. So they, you know, they, they trust the internet for, for everything. And um, so when you argue with them about, say, Nehru or what India's growth rate was before the independence, they will scan the internet and find just the kind of numbers that they they need um and so it doesn't matter you know what the source is it doesn't matter how you know what the research is or or who's being cited or um so that that happened a lot in in some cases i did i would um have debates with uh, the young men and they they just almost always defeated me so it didn't go but <laughs> didn't go that way well i'm already excited to read this uh, second book that you say you have in the pipeline but um, I think what you already have here is so important because you know it gives faces and stories to just trends and statistics that we read about in the news and makes it so much more real I guess Um, So thank you for writing this and thank you for joining us here on New Books Network today. I wish your book all the success and uh, yeah. Thank you, Madhuri. I had a wonderful time talking to you. Thank you for reading the book and thank you for featuring it on the wonderful show. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Bye-bye.